Hi there, and welcome to The Works. I'm Ben Peltier. And I'm Ben Chang. This week's show is mostly built around music. Music on ice, music in photographs, and music beyond borders. Music Beyond Borders is the title of a long-running RTHK Radio 4 series that's celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Later in our show, we'll be bringing you some of the artists featured this time around, including music from the Netherlands, Austria, and Switzerland. We'll also be looking at rock music through the camera lens, as we talk to British rock photographer and the founder of Rock Archive, Jill Fernanovsky. But before that, Peter Tchaikovsky's music for the Nutcracker Ballet has long been a part of Christmas. It's performed on stage in Hong Kong almost every year, and this year, the Hong Kong Ballet is preparing a brand new version. While we're waiting for that, though, at the Academy for Performing Arts, there's a chance this week to see the Nutcracker on ice. It was just to show that we do something unique, which is the introduction of the Nutcracker doll. And in most productions, what they'll do is they'll bring out a doll for you. It's like a wooden carving. And I just thought it'd be nice to do something new. So I found a, a very petite gymnast. And she actually represented the Nutcracker doll, which is the present that Drosselmeyer gives to um, his niece. And it just gives a, a different way of showing that character. You know, there's a doll that comes to life that then gets broken. That was the first piece we did. The Nutcracker Ballet is based on a children's tale, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, written by German author E.T.A. Hoffmann in 1816. Working on a commission from the Imperial Theatre in St. Petersburg, Tchaikovsky was asked to work with choreographer Marius Petipa to compose music for the adaptation in 1892. Today, The Nutcracker is much loved. Its premiere didn't go so well. Audiences liked the music, but didn't much care for the dance. In the 1940s and 1950s, though, American ballet companies began staging it at Christmas. In 1954, the New York City Ballet gave its first annual performance of George Ballantyne's version. Since the 1960s, it's become a tradition to stage the performance during Christmas, even in Hong Kong. It's also been turned into animated films and dramatic stage production. The Imperial Ice Stars presented on ice, combining ice skating and acrobatics. We've done our version is based upon Tchaikovsky, the composer's writings, um, which are very, very different um, in lots of subtle ways. So, you know, in ballet, it's quite a dark story. Act One's very dark, and it has a different um, end to it. Not what the composer wanted. You know, the composer wanted this light-hearted, winter's tale of love. The show's performed by a cast of 25 professional skaters, many of whom have previously won international skating competitions. They haven't, however, undergone ballet training, but they say this isn't as important as you might think. We're not doing ballet on ice. We're doing our own inter you know, artistic interpretation. And I think it's wrong if people think that what they're going to come down and see is the ballet. And a lot of people think it's plastic ice, I promise you. It's realized there's 15 tons of it on the stage, all at a, you know, a temperature of minus eight. What they're doing on the stage is quite dangerous. You know, 30, 35 kilometers an hour, they're moving at great speed.
playing the roles of the Arabian prince and princess in Divertissement Coffee, otherwise known as the Arabian dance, are Fiona Kirk and her fiancé, Vladimir Kodakivsky. For us, it was quite challenging because we are ice skaters. We were trained ice skaters from six, six years old for me, three years old for him. Uh, he used to train in the Ukraine or previously USSR at that time. And I was a skater from Cape Town, South Africa, which, as everyone knows, is not an ice skating nation at all. We're not acrobats as such. We were never trained as acrobats, so we had to use our skating skills to master our performance. Yes, yes. So, Speed. Exactly. So we use the speed of the ice and we use the spin of the ice and we use our basic skating skills to do the act that we do. We don't rely on acrobatic skills for it, which we, we could never master now at this age. All the skaters that I'm skating with are Russian, Ukrainian or ex-USSR. So they understand exactly everything about Tchaikovsky, ballet. They've grown up with this whole culture. Vladimir was born in Kiev in the Ukraine and previously won many skating competitions. In 1993, he was awarded the Ukrainian Junior Medal. He retired from competition in 1995, became a performer in skating shows, and has since toured the world. I grew up in Soviet Union time, and, and I never actually imagined that actually I will actually skate in, in Tchaikovsky music, and especially in theater. I was seriously it's very good experience for me, new and very good one. I think it's symbolic, the story is beautiful, I mean, you know, it's all about a Christmas present that's given to a young girl and, and it's her dreams behind her present. And I think also the, the theatrical staging, you know, it's a winter's, it's a winter's tale. There's a different take on music at the Gateway Arcade in Harbor City this week. This time, it's an exhibition of photographs about rock music called Rock Archive, 50 Years of British Rock. The images on display celebrate such British musicians as the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, David Bowie, Coldplay, and more. I, I think I like my picture of Amy Winehouse because she looks happy and relaxed, and she had a reputation for none of these things. She even looks healthy in my picture. Um, she was a very great artist. She died uh, too young. It was a sad story, but she, she did leave behind this wonderful music, and when I photographed her, it was a happy moment in her life, and so I feel that that's a picture that her family liked to have. Long before the days of Adele, Amy Winehouse and Robbie Williams, and even long before she set up Rock Archive back in 1998, Jill Monoski was shooting photographs of rock stars. She'd been doing it since she was a teenager. I was just a teenager, about 14 years old, and uh, I stood outside Abbey Road Studios, and the Beatles were recording inside. I had a Kodak Instamatic camera, and uh, I went afterwards to Paul McCartney's house, and took a picture of Paul McCartney uh, with two of my school friends. So that was my first rock picture. Born in 1953 in Zimbabwe, Jill moved to the UK in the mid-1960s. Growing up in the UK, she couldn't help but fall under the influence of rock music, and she eventually chose a career far from her textile and graphic design majors 
the Central Saint Martin School of Art. It was a very strange situation to to not really know what you're doing, but I do feel that sometimes you get given a, a chance, a lucky break, and um, that is part of the rock and roll spirit. Many of the rock and roll musicians don't know how to play music. They just somebody gave them a guitar, somebody gave them a chance, and they. The next thing, they're professionals. They were attractive. It's not quite the same as looking at a picture of Shostakovich or, or Beethoven who died. So, uh, rock music was for young people, and um, it was sexy. It was, um, it was exciting. Uh, it was a no-brainer, as they say. So, so you think you can tell? No music, no life is what my t-shirt says and um, in a way it's a, a phrase adopted by Rock Archive because that's how we feel, the people who work there, that without music there'd be no life, it's especially the rock music. Inspired by the Magnum Photo Collective of award-winning photojournalists, in 1998, Jill Fimonovsky had the idea of creating an archive of rock, combining her own images with those of other rock photographers making them more accessible to fans and collectors. I had my own archive, which was at that time 30 years old, and I knew many people also had archives, and I felt that between us we could show rock history. So it was just a, a kind of um, an idea inspired by Magnum. And also the digital revolution of 1998, when everything moved from analogue into digital, printing, photography, music, everything, internet, so it was a combination of these factors. This is one of my favourite pictures. It's Pink Floyd, of course, but also it's, it kind of has the atmosphere of the music, I think. The wall is a very spacey music. Um, it takes you very high in your head, and that picture sort of sums up that particular piece of music. Nick Mason is the Pink Floyd's archivist. I'd worked with Pink Floyd and, uh, for, for the whole of their career. They, they were one of the first bands I did work with from 1972. And uh, when I began Rock Archive, I went to see him and he thought it was a very good idea. And so he was interested as well in the history. So he's, he always comes to our board meetings or we go to his office. The exhibition, Rock Archive, 15 Years of British Rock, is shown at Harbour City and features photographs taken between 1961 and 2010. It's part of the UK Now Festival of British Arts, organised by the British Council and will run until November 18th. Welcome back. Over the past 10 years, RTHK Radio 4's Music Beyond Borders has brought to Hong Kong music from Africa, Italy, Ireland, Australia and India, among many others. This year, the show, working with the New Vision Arts Festival, put on a free open-air concert featuring music from the Netherlands, Austria and Switzerland. It will be broadcast on RTHK Radio 4 in December, but we went along to give you a preview. I listen to a lot of Asian music and appreciate it a lot. 
but I do not feel influenced in that sense by, uh, as I feel influenced by American jazz. But the culture itself is very interesting to me and uh, I do get a lot of inspiration by traveling through Asia, like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Malaysia. Pianist and composer Claude Diallo is the leader of the Claude Diallo Situation, a jazz trio from Switzerland. He studied music in the United States for eight years, set up the band in 2007, since which time it's performed and toured across the world. In 2011, it was voted the best band in the kind of jazz series at the Kaufleuten in Zurich. More recently, the trio's been concentrating on opening up the Asian market, taking on tours in Taiwan, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand and Hong Kong. The group members say they find inspiration anywhere. I just take a look and it's like, it's beautiful. The weather is amazing. So for me, inspiration is all about places, maybe sometimes meeting people. This year, the band made its Music Beyond Borders debut in the 10th anniversary concert of the event, premiering a recent Asian-influenced composition inspired by a Hong Kong restaurant. Capturing the spirit of Music Beyond Borders, at one point the trio invited German harmonica player Hendrik Merkins to join them on stage to play Mandarin pop music. Hendrik, Hendrik Merkins. I was very surprised by the, the freshness of the, the audience and their reaction was really enthusiastic and we were really pleased about that because we didn't know what to expect in such a, um, such a country abroad, like far from home. So I was really happy about that. Um, I think they have uh, freshness and really they, they were paying attention to our music and we were very happy and very proud about that. Claimed Dutch saxophone player Yuri Honning and his electric band Wired Paradise were scheduled to play at the show, but illness forced Yuri to pull out. The rest of his band members did make it to Hong Kong though, deciding to play under the name Jam de la Creme. They still managed to give the flavor of Wired Paradise, set up by Yuri in 2005. While he is most often labelled a jazz saxophonist, the band, with its mixture of jazz, rock and quasi-psychedelia, defies easy categorization. It will be a mixture of uh, improvisations uh, and a couple of tunes we already played, a couple of tunes of the group Wired Paradise and um, for the rest um, uh, some ideas and fans. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the music will be improvised. 
Yuri Honing had planned to play a new composition, The White Tiger, in the concert. It's a piece inspired by Indian novelist Aravida Adiga's book of the same name, a book that examines issues of religion, caste, loyalty, corruption, and poverty in India. Although he wasn't here, his band members did incorporate musical elements from White Tiger into their improvisation. Yui came up with the title, that title because we were touring India at that moment when we were developing the repertoire. And, uh, and a lot of the concerts are actually recorded live in India. So, and it was around that time when that book was very famous. And that's how Yuri actually came up with the title White Tiger. Uh, it's basically um, yeah, instrumental music. Uh, our background is jazz, but it has a lot of rock influences. And uh, it, it's, more, uh, it's more like the spirit of the novel. You could say that it's, uh, that's, it's inspired by that in, instead of Indian music. Uh, and the style of music we play, that's just our own music. scenes that um, the different atmospheres we create with the music, the ambience, that, that it's not only uh, one melody or, or one rhythm or something, that it's, it's rather like, like a whole thing, you know, like, like uh, some special mood, you, you get like different pictures. Opera Buffa in Five Micro Scenes is a series of musical scenes created by the Austrian band Georg Grazer and B-Folk. They describe it as being a symphony with different musical characters. The variety of the scenes reflects the different backgrounds from which the band's members come. The music basically um, origins from us. So, so we have uh, all quite different uh, musical backgrounds. Some come from classical music in, in the band, some come from rather jazz music. And we, we put it together and, and everybody's traveling a lot. So we, we are collecting lots of experiences through traveling and, and learning new instruments and putting it in, in, in together in, in our band sound, in our very unique band sound, I would say. For the show, Georg Grazer and his band fused European chamber music with Asian-inspired sounds. Their instrumentation is unusual, including a mandola, relative of the mandolin, accordion and woodwinds. Their music's been described as chamber music jazz. Georg played in the first Music Beyond Borders concert 10 years ago. He credits the experience with helping him to find his more Asian sound. It's very special to play uh, the Chinese flute over here in China. And um, 10 years back in 2002, I, I st started to play the Chinese flute, the Dizze, the bamboo flute, the traditional Chinese flute. And that's a very, for me, very different feeling, you know, to play this traditional flute here in China. So. The music is the only universal language so when, when you come to another country you immediately can communicate with every musician through music on, on a very uh, intimate way actually 
So you, you just sit together and you don't know each other's language, but you play music and you uh, realize immediately if you have some common base on, on communication, if it works between you without speaking each other's language. So that, that's why music is always beyond borders. Yeah.